had this perception that Unroll Me was privacy conscious and actually turned out was appealing to people who they weren't a good fit for. So Unroll Me is a service that unrolls you from mailing lists. And they were a company that were ran for a couple of years and they didn't really have a business model. And so they decided to sell personal data. There's been a radical shift in people's belief in how privacy should be. Certainly in terms of what you're storing on your servers, you have a better security story for your users. Hi, I'm Paul Berger, founder of CircleCI. I'm Edith Harva, CEO and co-founder at LaunchDarkly. And you're listening to To Be Continuous, a podcast about continuous delivery and software development. You can get in touch with us anytime at our Twitter handle, at ContinuousCast. The show is brought to you by Heavybit. To learn more, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Okay, so uh, unroll me. Uh, (laughs) That seems awful abrupt. (laughs) So... I personally love talking about controversies. Everyone else seems to shy away from drama and avoid talking about them, but I, I think they're they're fascinating. Paul, drama lover. Bigger. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I so, actually thought your middle name was an F, so Paul Fracas. Uh, it's, it's a good one. Paul Paul Fracas Monger. I'm terrible at this game. <laughs> What's the game? It's it's like your pun game, and I just can't do anything with them. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll let I'll let you I'll let you talk. Okay, so uh, Unroll Me happened. Uh, so there, there's a company called Unroll Me that's owned by a company called Slice, which sells to a company called Uber, which you might have heard of. And the thing that they sell is your personal data. And the whole thing is fascinating to me because um, I, I have kind of a, a, a first-hand experience with a lot of the same decisions. Mm-hmm. So I was product at TripIt. Really? Long-time visitors of the show will find that incredibly new news that they've not heard before. <laughs> now I think you're teasing me with just raw sarcasm. So my first project when I joined TripIt was, up until then, the way it worked was you would forward an email to TripIt and we would parse it and extract um, useful information so that you could get a nice itinerary. Okay. And this in and of itself is kind of fascinating because basically we're reverse engineering a database. Okay. Like So there's been all this work to take information about your flight or your hotel, yep. form it into a beautifully formatted or ugly marketing email that, that will get sent to you, mm-hmm. which then we decompose back into a database field. Right. And a constant kind of thing we got was, one, people who just did not like TripIt because they didn't like sharing private data, and then two, people who wanted us to, to actually look at their inbox and not have to forward emails. So e- even when people had to explicitly forward they were already complaining about privacy. The people who were really unhappy just wouldn't do it. Right. Okay. Like so, the people well, who why, why wouldn't they just like what what was in the email that was is, is there credit card info or their address or like what what's the private info that they're everything. Protecting? So whatever email you forwarded us, mm-hmm. we got. So usually people would email us, for example. Um, so I'm going to Collision. Yeah. So like I just got an email confirmation of my hotel, and I might forward that, and that would actually have a lot of personal information. Gotcha. You know. And after you'd processed it, did you delete the email? Like what happened? How did you take care of of that privacy concern? So my understanding is the way it was five or six years ago. Sure, so sure, I'll state sure, up course. front that I have. I don't have firsthand knowledge of how it's done now. Yeah, of course. Of course. I know that back then we would keep the emails, I think, for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Main, Is that for bug checking and that sort of thing? Yeah, so it was a constant moving target. So the way it worked under the hood was that we basically had all these regexes. Okay. So an email would come in and you would match it with a regex to say, okay, uh, a regex is a regular expression. Yeah. It's basically pattern matching this email versus a template. Right, right, right. It was a constant battle because what was happening on the other side is that the suppliers, the airlines, the hotels, 
were also changing their email formats. Not not to combat you, just like that was just a normal thing that you, you change your product sometimes. Sometimes we weren't sure. Oh really? Yeah, sometimes we weren't sure, but sometimes it's just like, hey, um, you know, Southwest decides to have a holiday message yeah, yeah. as a top banner and suddenly that throws everything off. Right, okay. So it was a constant So someone forwards something and then it fails to parse fully and then there's a human involved in, in reading it. So we had different levels. We had like what we call like a partial parse, where it would get some of the information but not all of it. Mm-hmm. And then we would start to flag that and then start to cycle through the we would do what we called a rerun or mm-hmm. reparse. We yep. were trying to pick up information. This is actually when I really got into continuous delivery mm-hmm. and microservices, though we didn't call it that back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Because basically what we had to do was we had to release decoupled. Right, as soon as soon as something came out. Yeah. It's 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 funny. We we, we had a couple of um of things like this at at Circle CI where where due to like the changing circumstances around us, we had to make a very, very quick change. And it couldn't wait for like it couldn't even wait for a full deploy in our in our case. So, for example, if you're using like NPM or one of those providers, and something changed in the world at large, uh, which it sometimes does, we might have to make a change to the image on on which your your tests are run. And we didn't have like rebuilding an image was a two to three day process, and and shipping it out was like a thirty six hour process. So there was there was no way to make the change. So we 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 had a a thing that ran called pseudo hacks. Yeah. So a, a short script that we could enter into a database, and at the start of every build, it ran that short script if there was one. We would find clever ways to to hack around the the edge cases, whether like pulling down certs or you know just changing, adding a file in a particular place until we could get around to the next uh, to the next image. Yeah, eventually you had to by necessity you had to um, decompose the monolith. Like yep. we had we had our web UI and our mobile apps that went at a very different speed than yep. what we called the itinerator, which was picking apart itineraries. But it was a constant battle because, as you said, uh, vendors would change their emails all the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was in a meeting once with the engineering manager. She's like, "Well, can't we ask them to tell us?" Mm. And it's like, "No, if you're like an American Airlines marketing manager in Dallas, yeah, it's not on your list to go tell TripIt." And in fact, we were always at semi warfare with the airlines. What what year was this? Oh gosh, 2011. 2011. Okay. Time goes so by. a couple of years later, in 2013, 2014, Google added that that schema.org thing, so you could add. Metadata to your emails, mostly for Gmail, so that you could add a, a button at the end yeah. of the thing to to click download or add to calendar or whatever the thing is you're supposed to do. I wonder if if today that would be a way to include the data for processes like yourselves. Yeah, I mean, we were really the only big person doing it. We had a couple kind of me too competitors, but right. nobody else was investing as much time. So. One, this is how I really got into continuous delivery and really mm-hmm. saw it in action how important yep. and deconstructing different services too. Um, the funny thing was, everybody thought we sold the data and we didn't. So why do they think you sold the data? Because people are paranoid. Right. So like, so I was the product person on this that I would field all the questions. I mean, mm. I would like I would work with support and we would get like angry things like you're selling our data. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, we're not. So what what made them think you were selling the data? Paranoia. Right. So we would reassure them over and over that we weren't. Yeah. And as again. Maybe TripIt does now. Did, I don't did know. Did your terms of service uh, say that you could sell the data? I don't recall. Okay. And I know that we did not. Yeah. And one of the reasons we did not is that nobody was interested back then. Right. So TripIt was free, right? Uh, TripIt was free, and we had various premium services on top of it. Gotcha. And so you made the money via the premium services, not via. So do you think that uh, if there was money in it, that you back in the day would have sold it if if someone was buying? 
I think it sufficiently anonymized we would have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that it was something we talked about in terms of like, hey, if American wants to know how much pickup United is getting from an airport. Mm-hmm. But the airlines just they weren't interested. Nobody was interested back then. Gotcha. That's that's very interesting. So let's continue this story because you you obviously then went to parsing the the full inbox or, or something along those lines. Yeah. So the step one was that you forward us an email. The mm-hmm. step two was some people said, "I'm too lazy or I'm too busy. Mm-hmm. Why don't I give you access to my email mm-hmm. and you can find the relevant emails?" Yeah. So this was a really fun project that I worked on because. Um, and again, maybe it was just that technology was different back then. Is um, people were very concerned that we would basically copy their entire email. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't do that because back then storage was still horrendously expensive. <laughs> Here's another question: If you could have, would you have? I don't think so. Like okay. we were just kind of like, what do we? We don't. So what we would do is we would scan headers. Yeah. Like so, you know the way an email has a header with the sender. So we were looking yeah. for certain senders. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, reservations.southwest.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good header. Yeah. And we kind of viewed everything else as like an undesirable byproduct, as, as basically because mm, you have to store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were like, we don't want all those emails. Yeah. I mean, the, the the other obvious thing is that it puts a big target over your head. Even having email access puts a big target on your head because someone could could hack in and then use that to access further customers. But if you're also a store on on all the data and you know you don't you don't encrypt it appropriately or you know a, there's a bug somewhere in your process there's a big giant target and possible data breach over your head that could possibly be an existential risk to your company yeah so we were very careful about this so we mm-hmm. had an OAuth we never stored passwords yeah and we never stored full emails what we were very careful is we would scan headers yeah and if something was interest if it was a, a relevant header then we would parse that email yeah and you didn't store the email we did not gotcha did you store the headers so, so, so you, you talked about that that two week window where you stored things for misparses that was still in place so that was emails that people sent to us. Yeah, and that was basically so if we fixed the regex, we could call it a, a reprocess. Oh, okay. So you, now that it's still being stored on Gmail servers, you don't need to do that. You just you just say we failed to parse this email link to it, and then you can come back to that later without storing. Yeah. So it's actually better. Well, ignoring that you now have OAuth access, and that's the security thing. But certainly in terms of what you're storing on your servers, you have a better. Security story for your users. Yeah, so basically, what we'd store, and again, the huge caveat that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the way it was five years ago, yeah. and they could have rebuilt it several times. We would store what's the last email that we scanned, mm-hmm. so that like you have a number in your inbox of this is email. There's there's actually a hidden secret number of like you scanned up to seventeen thousand seven hundred and ninety two because we didn't want to have to rescan all the emails every time. Okay. So we would we would want to scan only the new emails from the last time we we looked. Okay, what's the thing about seventeen thousand? In your email inbox, there's a hidden number which is the ordinal count of mm-hmm. email. So like what we would do, and again, this is what we did several years ago. Like every periodic number of hours, we would go in and scan to see if there was new emails that we should pick up. Okay. So and we needed to know the last place we checked. Mm-hmm. So we basically have a count of this is the last email we saw. Yeah. Check for new emails since then because Gmail lets you have unlimited storage. Right, right. So we didn't want to go back and scan eight years of email every time we looked at it. So I, I'm I'm lost as to the seventeen thousand, the the significance of that number. Just that every email inbox basically has a number of the last email that you we had looked oh, at. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You went and you looked in some chunk size or something in some chunk size. Well, we looked from the last time we looked. Yeah. Okay. Like yeah. so, we, we we basically, even then in 2011, like people had had Gmail for a long time, and it encouraged you not to delete. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So we didn't want to have to rescan every email. Right. When someone signed up, did you look back in history? Did people want that? So I was the PM on this. So that was actually a lot of questions we had at the beginning where this was something very new. Yeah. There was um, one company that did something similar, which was Pud's company. Gosh, they had something to do with purchasing. So they do it for receipts, but we were for travel. So we had a lot of questions like, how far do people want to go back? Yeah. Is it relevant? Do people want to populate? Is this going to kill our system if we start doing this? Like, yeah. what if we're scanning, you know, millions of email inboxes? Mm-hmm. So this is also how I really first started really using feature flags to plan out a project. Oh, interesting. So like we at the beginning we just had people who were heavy travelers, and we would turn it on in production for about a batch of ten. Yeah. And get feedback from them. Mm-hmm. And we would gradually turn it on for more and more people. And so on the on the backfilling, did people like that? It depended. Mm-hmm. So we ended up allowing some people really like having a complete history of all their trips. Yeah. yeah some yeah. people saw it as clutter. Yeah. And there's just some stuff we couldn't get around, like um, Southwest emails. You can't pick up a year from. Oh, uh, okay. But there's the there's the year in the in the mail headers. For whatever reason, it didn't work out that way. Okay. So the Southwest ones would always turn up as the most recent year, which would uh, confuse yeah, the heck yeah. out of people. And I guess you probably didn't have parsers that could go back to the dawn of time. Like presumably you've gotten rid of old parsers from your code base and yeah, so that yeah, was another yeah, issue. Yeah. So there was it was an interesting project. Yeah, like a lot of little stuff once you start to dig into it about how exactly it works. And then like um, I remember once Turkish Airlines sent out something which was like, enjoy your trip to Istanbul. Yeah, that somehow got parsed, which was an advertisement like enjoy your winter vacation yeah, 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 to yeah, yeah. Istanbul. So everyone suddenly has a trip to Istanbul on there. It, it had just enough that our parser picked it up nice. as a trip to Turkey, and people totally freaked out because <laughs> they're like, "I'm not going to Turkey. Right. My account they, they, get hacked." They think there's been some credit card fraud. Yeah, yeah so people yeah, were yeah. really unhappy about that. So, so I, I'm very interested in, in the idea of that. There's these people who were who were against it even when it was forwarding email. Some people just were very anti-Trippet. Okay. Like, and we kind of. But called, why are you even talking to anti-Trippet people? We weren't, but they would yeah. post blog posts or angry right, tweets okay, about yeah, like yeah, this yeah. is invasion of privacy. And our basic answer was like we're pretty transparent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I remember writing the blog post about how we handled emails. It was like basically yeah. came down to like if you don't want us to scan in your inbox, don't, don't. Yeah, like, yeah can yeah, forward yeah. us emails, and we will only see those. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's interesting because the there's been a radical shift in in people's belief in how. Privacy should be since like, I mean, we, we were both around when when the internet was kind of getting kicked off and we're you know, teenagers or adults in, in you know kind of that that period, and you know seeing sort of the let's say the slash dot crowd and how they would talk about privacy in the, oh, yeah. in the early two thousands and that sort of thing. It's like uh, I mean cookies were extremely controversial at, yeah. at the time, and these days like people are giving access to their full inbox to their full contact list to their to Twitter and Facebook and, and to tons of different companies. So the, the, the Unroll Me thing is, is something that would have been insane a decade ago. Oh gosh, I mean, um, I'm actually pretty happy that there was not Facebook when I was in college. Oh yeah, completely agree. That would have been a disaster. Like there was Facebook, but it was an actual physical book. <laughs> like I don't know, do they have that in Ireland? No, no, we didn't actually. So it comes. I mean, I, I think that would have been a giant violation of privacy. I remember I was in I was in middle school in in the U.S. and they sent out books like with people's names and addresses and phone numbers for like everyone in the school. You mean you mean like a phone directory, Paul? Yeah, but no specific. <laughs> I, I guess yeah, like the that's pretty standard. Well, so actually, that, that that's really interesting. That you know when we were. When we were young, there was phone books with our addresses. Now I don't want anyone to have my address. 
Well, I mean, that's because you're a shadow figure of the night. Well, no, 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 not even that. But I'm not even in any sort of like danger. But like you know, when you look at internet stalking and 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 that sort of thing, that if there was a, an equivalent of the league or a Tinder or something in the old days, you get someone's name, you figure out who they are, you drive slowly a, by their house, right? Because there, there, there's an kind address of stalk the, when they're looking, right? Because there, there's an address in in a book that is delivered to everyone's door. It's like prime stalking material, and this was like a totally normal thing for. Decades. Oh yeah, I yeah. mean, like, I mean, how else would you know how to call people? Like, I remember, right. like, you know, I remember. but they're addressed as well. This was pretty standard, Paul. I, I know, I know. I'm, I'm just sort of like thinking back, like in modern times, we have, I think, I think a fairly pragmatic view of privacy. It's like Tripit. I don't believe cares about me personally, so Tripit can read my email, right? But there's a direct threat. And I, I don't personally feel this, but I know lots of people who, for, for whom this is a real issue. There is a direct threat to knowing someone's address. Yeah. And that was a thing that was totally fine 10 years ago, but we were freaking out over the idea that a company might, might be able to read emails that we forwarded to them explicitly. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of the death of the phone book. Like, I remember, um, like, so when I went to college, they gave us a physical lookbook yeah. with everybody's picture mm-hmm. who had submitted in, like their their phone number, so you could call people. Yeah, like this is back when people had a phone in their dorm yeah, room. Yeah, but now it's just that it seems like you said a little bit of invasion of privacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even even someone's phone number without without asking, I, I I get I get spam calls basically every day from people who bought my phone number from somewhere. Yeah, it's bad. So my co-founder John, um. He answers the phone all the time because he has two small kids. Uh-huh. So he's like, I have to answer it even if it's yep. unknown because it could be the school nurse, yeah, or yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. or like a neighbor. Yeah. And so I'm with him when he answers, and like it's always just like somebody like it's a truth universally known that if you're a startup, somebody wants to sell you recruiting services yep. or some random thing. Yeah. Usually a SaaS product from another startup. Yeah. Whereas I have the luxury of I'm just like if I don't recognize a number, I, I usually don't answer. Yeah. But what if it's customers? We now have a number that does not ring to my line. Nice, nice. So nice. when we when we started off, so I know when we started off, it did ring directly to me, and I would answer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to admit I was a CEO because it made us sound too small potatoes. Yeah, yeah. And so you're you're the secretary when you answered, and then you transferred it to the to the CEO. No, I just say like, can I talk to the salesperson? I'm like, sure, and I'd help them. Yeah. And then like somebody Googled me later, and they wrote me an email. Like I didn't realize I was talking to the CEO. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so. Bring it around to, to Unroll Me. So Unroll Me is a service that unrolls you from mailing lists and um, spam and, and all that sort of shit that so you presumably signed up for. Play point. on Unenroll. Right. And they were a company that were ran for a couple of years and they didn't really have a business model. And so they decided to sell personal data in some anonymized form. That was allowed by their terms and conditions. So, so they have terms and conditions that say they, they can sell anonymized data, and they've since sold to someone else to Slice, yep. whoever they are. Who's, I, I know Slice well because they were um, we were the biggest OAuth user of Go mm-hmm. Gmail, and Slice was probably the second. What does Slice do? So, what Tripit did is we would scan and look for um, travel and make your nice trip itinerary. What Slice was trying to do is scan and look for receipts. Mm-hmm. And like any receipt, mm-hmm. like from anything, and then the idea that they could, um, for example, tell you if a price had dropped or gotcha. something, so you could get a receipt. I mean, so that you could get a refund. Okay, so so Slice is a company that that reads your email and sells it as well. And they, I think, always thought of themselves as that way. Yeah, because I, I actually know some of the Slice people because mm-hmm. we would chat because we're both yeah, doing OS. Yeah. 
we saw ourselves as a travel productivity tool. Yeah. Like so we always saw like the the trip users as our customers. So when you're saying that they think of themselves that way, as in they know what their business model is or they always, they, they're very transparent to customers about the fact that they make money from I think they always were more transparent about like so like they would say, Hey, we're gonna tell you when stuff is about to go out of warranty or yeah. tell you when you can't return anymore or tell you when there's a price drop and I think Slice was pretty transparent about gotcha. it. and we're going to sell cuz one gonna of the interesting things about data. this is that the blame is like landed on Unroll Me and has not been landed on the parent company which is you know the ones who are actually selling the Unroll Me data I don't know if it's even a parent company it's like you know there was an acquisition that they own the product I think it, and we were kind of Tweeting about this, I think it's because there's such a clash between what the Unroll Me users thought they were getting. Mm-hmm. Like, so they were attracting a persona of yeah. privacy sensitive. I don't want unsolicited emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a certain class of people. That's interesting, right? It, it, it's it's the more privacy conscious people. But I and, feel like if you were really privacy conscious, there's no way you'd hand over the the contents of your email, essentially. Yeah, I think, and this is where I get into it. I think. Um, let, let me let me go back. When I was a really early Gmail user, mm-hmm, and like I was actually, I got one of the first alpha invites. Nice, nice. So were you were you that early? I was not that early. I was I was a couple of months after the launch. I, I knew somebody who knew somebody, so I got an alpha invite back when they were going for like a thousand dollars. Oh wow! Yeah. This is before the the April first launch date. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. It pays to be in Silicon Valley. Well, you get free email, but like. <laughs> they give it to anybody now. And even then it was kind of like I remember there was a bit of a kerfuffle that they could give you ads. And I remember my friend trying to spoof me by like he would send me like um mud wrestling or something so I would get yeah, mud wrestling yeah. ads. Well so that the, the, you know kind like of talking he was, about he was this. like uh, basically mail bombing me with yeah. salacious words so that they would start to show up. Well, harking back to earlier in our conversation when we were talking about difference in expectations of privacy and that sort of thing, people were really up in arms that that Google would you know, have algorithms read your email oh, yeah, yeah. and that's, show you ads on it. It was, that, it was, it was crazy. I, that's what I mean. People yeah. were really upset, and like my friend would spoof me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but spoofing yeah. sounds like not that upset. It's like it's you know taking it in fun. Like people for years refused to use Gmail. Yeah, and then eventually, I think people. I think there are still people who don't, but most people are kind of. Well, I think the expectations of privacy on the internet have changed. That's interesting. Yeah, like to, c- completely. So Gmail's been out thirteen years, and yeah, it was just like back then. It was, to my mind, privacy has always been about whether or not a human can get access to some information on you, or the you know the information can be used against you. Yeah, and I think this goes back to. Um, I'm still not a fan of they just passed that rule in the states where your internet traffic can now be sold. So again, so this is something which I feel the you know, if if you read the the same things that I read, this was sold. <laughs> I don't I don't know what you read, Paul. So, well, so I mean the, the 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 same sort of people. Yeah, I'm 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 fairly lefty, and you know most of the people that I talk to are fairly lefty, and so people were up in arms about this, and you know kind of looked into the into what was happening, and it was it was a weird like there wasn't someone. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but as I understand it, there wasn't someone who was passing a law. It wasn't like these evil Republicans are passing a law that that allows you to change it. As I understand it, the law was that they were changing which oversight, or who, who was responsible. It was like the FCC was responsible, or was now going to be responsible, or something like that for for the ISP's rules. And 
so it was like a relatively new rule was now going back because they weren't in charge anymore or something like that. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 so I, f- I forget the actual thing, but like you know, for something like you know, eleven years of Gmail's existence, that rule had not existed, and it had been you know, it had existed for like two years or something. Like that. So ISPs have always sold your data, and now they can again. And it was it feels like the amount of spin that was put on it was was fairly disingenuous. Yeah, it's it's funny because I remember um, maybe ten years ago, like um, basically your your company, if you're employed, has the right to read all of your company yeah. email. Yeah, I remember reading a um, you know, one of these early startups. I don't remember which it was, but they talked about like, what do we do about if employees are doing personal internet at work? Because this used yeah, to be a this thing. Used to be the thing. Yeah, yeah. People used to be like, oh, you know, it's you can do work internet at work, but you can't do personal internet at work. So they, they track everything. And the same thing with like schools and so now that the internet is pervasive and a key part of our lives that that, that has changed. So so this company said we keep all internet logs public. So it's like you can do whatever you like at work, but everyone will see it. <laughs> and it's like today, like that's so much worse than than the other side of it. Well, that's I mean that's originally how Hotmail came about. How so? Is um so Hotmail um there are two engineers that wanted to start a company, mm-hmm. and they couldn't find a way to talk about it except for at night because mm-hmm. at work they didn't want to use their professional email. Yeah. And back then there's no like imagine a world with no Hotmail. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like imagine you either had your professional email, yeah, or you had to go home and use a hard line to use AOL. Yeah, yeah. So that's how they came up with Hotmail. It was literally yeah. like Hotmail that you could access yeah, from a web browser yeah. instead of having to tell net or dial in. Hmm. This seems like ancient history. Yeah, now, yeah no, no, like, that, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I, I always had this view that like my email was so boring that if my employer wanted to read it, like, good luck. Right. Like it would be like long discussions of running. Well, so then Gmail put chat into your email, and so the you know the precursor to Hangouts was was GChat, and that was well, GChat was just basically the next why. I mean, there was Y Talk and sure, yeah, sure, but now it was like searchable and recorded for all time in your but, in your inbox. But before that, there was Yahoo IM. I mean, like chat was but, not a new but, thing. But chat was not recorded up until then. I thought it was. So now it was recorded and searchable. I mean, I you recorded it if you were using like Adium or or one of these things. They kept logs. I'm pretty sure I Yahoo IM was recorded by Yahoo. I think so, but yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been, it's it's been such been a decades. long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. I um, it is funny to have a permanent record. Like um, I have an old friend in Seattle who I was writing about something. And he has a pretty unique username for Gmail. Mm-hmm. I was going to comment on it, and then I looked and um. I had given him his first Gmail account, mm-hmm. and he had talked to me about the username. Yeah. Okay. So you had commented on it fourteen years ago when yeah, he initially yeah. set it up. Mm. It's like, oh, why is Toxic in your name? And it's like, oh yeah. So, okay. So you know, going back a little bit here, Unroll Me and Slice and so on have been selling this to to Uber. There was a couple of interesting articles about this. So one was by the the co-founder of Unroll Me. Oh, that was an email that should not have been sent. I mean, I'm very sympathetic to what she said in it. But it was just like, it was... So what was in it and what do you think is bad? I think it was the kind of email that you write when you're upset mm-hmm. and you look at the next day and you're like, okay, here's how I need to like... Right, right, right. Like the, like, and it wasn't just an email, this was a Medium post. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. like, like, have you ever... I've actually done this when oh, I'm upset. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, you yeah. sit down and you're like... Yeah, you, you write it and then, and then you don't send it and then you look in the morning and you reread it and then you delete it. 
uh, yeah, or you say, okay, here's the message I wanted to convey that got lost in yeah, yeah in in the anger, in my immense tirade. Yeah. Like, here's the two points that nobody actually read, right, right, which everybody has done. So, in, in the case of unroll me, like they didn't break the law. I think they broke people's trust. I mean, clearly, they broke people's trust because people are pissed. Like, did you see John right. Sheehan's tweets? Uh, what, what did John say? Just like many things about how he was upset. Right, right. So it's, I, I'm, I'm going to say I, I'm not actually in favor of of Unreal Me, and I'm vaguely being in the in the devil's advocate position here, and vaguely like slightly sympathetic to to the uh, things that's going on because I don't think it's it's quite as serious as people are making it out. So terms of service, it was in the terms of service. That's like you know we, we sell aggregate data. It was basically written in their terms of service. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't hidden anywhere. Yeah, and it's it's funny because um, I mean we we get pushed back on on our terms of service because mm-hmm. we we have stuff that just our only intent is that we want people to we want to be able to use a tool like Intercom. Yeah, yeah. Or Full Story or Mixed right, Panel. Right. Yeah, and, and then people get of, very paranoid. There's been a lot of problems that people describe in their terms of service. We have a license to your data to do basically to fulfill what our service does. You know, we we store your data because we have a database or or we process your data because we we have computers. And people read that as like, "Oh my god, what are they doing with your data?" And I think this is true of almost any service when when the pitchforks come out. Yeah, and I know it's like so we 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 need to know like how many servers are connected to us. Right, right. What SDKs are in use? Yeah, yep. like pretty basic stuff. But yep. like, but like people sometimes get the wrong idea. Mm-hmm. There's definitely people who okay they get the wrong idea from fairly normal terms of, terms of services, and then there's there's the people that we discussed that are that are way more paranoid. It's interesting to compare slice versus unroll me because you said and I don't know how true this is, but. Slice was much more upfront about we sell your data. Yeah, and I guess that's why people haven't really been attacking Slice. And I think that's why they thought like Unroll Me was trying to appeal to one set of people mm-hmm. who would actually be very much against this. Right. So, but Slice owns Unroll Me and operates Unroll Me. I doubt it's a separate company. I'm sure it's a you know an acquired product and it was run run by the same people who run Slice. So they they even though they knew about the transparency. They were keeping Slice transparent with the Slice product. They, they they were transparent about what they were doing with the data, right? And so they, they clearly knew that that was a good idea or whatever, and then didn't apply it to Unroll Me. Yeah. And Slice is probably the people who sold to Uber. Like Unroll Me, it when it sold, was probably a very very small company. Yeah. Um, it sounds like it was kind of the two people or, or something. It sounds like, like that. Yeah, it was an aqua hire. Yeah. 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 And so it was Slice that sold the data to Uber, and certainly is is the company that continues to sell the data to Uber. So I wonder why we're attacking the two founders and who who are no longer involved, uh, rather than attacking Slice, who were also named in the same article. I think it was because of people's perception of Unroll Me and what Unroll Me stood for. Okay, they had this perception that Unroll Me was, you know, privacy conscious, and actually turned out. Was appealing to people who they weren't a good fit for. Yeah, and I think also that it was because the use case for which they had pitched themselves for was so different than what they were actually doing. So the thing that they were doing is not an invasion of privacy. I think what people's people's expectation was similar to to Tripit's that mm-hmm. I am going to sign up for this and I will unsubscribe. Yeah, it was not you will have access to everything. Right, 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 right. right. But the thing that they did. Right, so so they parsed your Lyft and Uber emails, 
Probably, and, probably using Slice's algorithm. Right. So, so if I if I picture the flow, and I don't have any inside knowledge of this, mm-hmm. they probably took everybody who had OAuthed in and used the Slice technology to parse. Right, right, right. That that, that is what I'd expect. Like they're probably doing a per customer like consultation. So it's like Uber says we want Lyft data, so they go in and they figure out how to how to do Lyft data. It's not like they're already selling Lyft data. They're selling Lyft data because Uber is paying them. Now I'm getting more and more to the hypothetical. I, I I'm totally in the hypothetical as well. Yeah, but I I, 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 I would any, expect I don't that, have any insider knowledge of their business practices. Sure. Or, but thinking through how how this business probably works, you know what probably happens is that they try to sell to someone. And that someone says we're interested in this data. We um, want to know how Lyft is doing in Albuquerque. We want to know how Lyft is doing. It's like, well, and, we and have specific, emails in specific geos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they make a parser for Lyft emails. Then yeah, maybe they're selling Lyft emails to everyone. But I, I imagine that they're doing it on on a, on a uh, consulting. Bit. There's a lot of consulting. These are very high ticket items. They, keep, they have account managers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I keep coming back to wow. There is finally somebody who was, there's actually a market for this. It might have just been Uber. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so the other interesting thing is that the article didn't get into is who else is Slice selling data to? Oh, everyone. Everyone who's got like competitive needs. Now, Uber is is you know one of these people who. Oh, actually, didn't it say that that Lyft also buys does competitive analysis? Yeah. So I imagine that they're selling to. People who want to know about markets in yeah. general, so they're probably selling to investors, private equity firms, people like Goldman, people like um, well, I mean, that the was, ma- management consultants. I mean, that was originally the entire idea of Mattermark mm-hmm. was that they would do basically competitive intelligence on what startups were hot. Right. Is that only on public data? Uh, who knows? I know that that was originally a lot of their their yeah. things that will tell you what startups are about to blow up. Right. 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 Okay. So so the data that's being sold. It's your Lyft tickets, your Lyft receipts, fairly anonymized. I want to go skiing now. Uh, your Lyft receipts, anonymized. Is is that a big deal? So I don't want a bunch of people with pitchforks to come after me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I feel like I'm setting myself up to be the pitchforks <laughs> person here. But nobody knows yeah. where you live, so it's fine. Yeah. Well, I just like to say that that I uh, I think I signed up for Unroll Me, and then I was like, eh, this is too much access. And took it away fairly immediately. Yeah, I think they kind of ruined OAuth for all of us. Yeah, yeah. I think years ago was was the right time to to unroll from Unroll Me. Yeah, and it's funny because there was this whole trend for a while where you would authorize all these Facebook apps, mm-hmm. and then yeah, people yeah, realized yeah. that this was kind of a dumb idea because somebody would always take advantage of it. Yeah, it's interesting how Facebook figured out the the one fear that everyone had is that it would post to your account. Which is and what so all the accounts. Everything now says this cannot post to your account, and that's in in the Facebook UX. Yeah, it's funny. So another, this is the final one. Another project I worked on at Tripper was the ability to auto post. To auto post to to different social networks. Oh, interesting. So, like, um, say you have an upcoming trip to New York. Mm-hmm. We could auto post to your Facebook feed, your LinkedIn feed, your Twitter feed, or your Yammer feed that hey, Paul Bigger, yeah, Paul uh, Fracas. Yeah, <laughs> bigger is going to New York. Okay, and uh, a lot of people hated this. A few people liked it, right? And the few people who liked it were like the social super connectors who wanted everybody to know where they were. Yeah, and what was that a useful thing for for growth? It got us some good PR. Yeah, and actually, it was funny because I, <laughs> Yammer was doing this big launch around their feeds, and we were one of their partners. 
And all the articles ended up being about TripIt instead of Yammer, so they were like, "Oh, nice!" <laughs> they were, I was the product person on it, and they were like, "This the headline was supposed to be Yammer, not TripIt." Yeah, because they did all the work to line up with the PR, and then I kind of um, stole it. But we were very careful about only people who wanted stuff posted. Right. We never auto posted because yeah, yeah, that yeah, would have yeah. just ticked people off. Right. And so I, I guess that's the that that's kind of the crux of it with Unroll Me. People are fine if it's the things. That they're supposed to be parsing and supposed to be using it in the way that they sort of advertise, and the terms of service is kind of like does not protect anyone from. Yeah, well, I think there's a difference between legal mm-hmm. and what's right and what pleases your users. And I'll mm-hmm. go back to classic blunder, which is Facebook Beacon. Remind me of that. So it was a very early ad product um, that Facebook had, where basically it would say, "Your so and so just purchased this," mm-hmm. and people were up in arms about this. Oh, uh, okay. Because like the idea was that it was whole about social buying. Instead, it's like you buy many things on the internet that you do not want your friends to know you buy. Right, right, right. From like you know, like many... no, g- g- give me some suggestions of things that that you buy on the internet that you'd like your friends not to know that you buy. <laughs> well, Paul, what have you bought in the last week, and do you just want to name them all? That's true. Actually, I don't think there's anything that it's like Paul just bought cornflakes. I know that sounds kind of sad when you say it like that. <laughs> Did you buy some milk or are you just eating them like <laughs> straight out of the box? <laughs> you monster eating dry cornflakes. That sounds so uh, sad. No, it, it kind of goes back to the email log. It's like um, there are people who like everybody knowing everything about them and there mm-hmm. are people who are horrified. Yeah. Like, if, for example, so the Facebook beacon is like if you're buying a, a book like, um, you know how to leave your abusive spouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like, um, yeah. Or like how to how to interview for a new job. Or an Anne Rand book. Why is that so bad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think post on your wall in San Francisco that you're buying an Anne Rand book. I don't think that's. A... I already have them. Oh, good, good, good. Everybody should have some historical fiction. <laughs> so I think we've come to the conclusion that there's many things that yes, you can disclose in your terms of service. Mm-hmm. Yes, might be legal, but. Might be a completely bad idea. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think you could argue one way or the other about whether it was morally in the right, and, and you know, clearly it's it's definitely legally fine. But I think generally, if your product is is doing something that your users are not going to be a fan of, you're you're generally not making a good business in my mind. And let me give a big comma that you can never make everybody happy all of the time. Sure, sure, sure. And I think this is where businesses ultimately go out of business if they're unable to monetize in a way that makes enough of their users happy. Well, I, I think the distinction that I would draw there is you're not able to make people happy all the time, but you have to make the users of your product happy. Like if the people who you make unhappy, you, you should be just you know you go over there, you don't use our product. Yeah, that, that's great. But when the actual users of your product are going to be unhappy with the things that you're doing, that's that's generally a bad sign. Yeah, I mean, Facebook has had at least. I don't know. I've lost count of how many exoduses where Facebook people say, "I don't want to give up any more private life. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, go yeah. use blah other service over here." Yeah, it's it's different when you have a monopoly, though. And one of the things that you can do when you have a monopoly is ignore your users. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but like you know, it's it's what Facebook's doing, it's what Google's doing, etc. Well, I think they're just saying, "Hey, we're 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 this environment for this sort of people," and that's why now you have spinoffs like Snapchat. Like so, Facebook is kind of, I'd say, almost the permanent. Like, did you do you ever have in Ireland the concept of a permanent record? I, I've I've heard this idea. Yeah. Well, there was this famous song, you know, like, um, I hope you know that this will go down on your permanent record. Right. There was never a permanent record, was there? 
It was just a lie that all the teachers used. Well, it was this lie that like somewhere there was this file with every bad thing you'd ever done up right, to right, like. Right, right. Um, and uh, Santa's gonna bring you coal at the end of the year as a result. Yeah, multiple lumps. Yeah, enough for a barbecue. So now there is a permanent record, but it's a permanent record that you yourself left. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to this episode of To Be Continuous, brought to you by Heavybit and hosted by me, Paul Bigger of Circle CI, and Edith Harbaugh of Launch Darkly. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. While you're there, check out their library, home to great educational talks from other developer company founders and industry leaders. Thank you.